35, Patrick and Cyprian explore Bell's theorem. The team discuss the polarizing filter experiment, the EPR paradox, probabilism and determinism. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Hello, Cyprian. How are you doing today? Hi, Patrick. Very, very well and ready for a new episode of Entangled Things. Excellent. Um, today, we're going to talk about um, the Bell's theorem or Bell's inequality. And, and what that means, it's, it's something that people are going to run into from time to time, but there's some background we need to cover first. Um, as you are probably seen many times, one of the ways that people illustrate uh, quantum weirdness is with polarizing filters. And I'm sure you've seen that before, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you, are you like me? You even have a couple of polarizing filters that you keep just, just in case you have to show it to someone? Yep, I, actually I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... If you have ever heard of this, the, the way the thing works is this. If you take a polarizing filter, what a polarizing filter does is it blocks half the light. And the reason it blocks half the light is because light is polarized in one, one specific direction. And if you filter out all the light that's not polarized in that one direction, you get less light. That's what sunglasses are. Sunglasses and tinting on windows, things like that. So if you take a polarizing filter and orient it vertically, then only light that's polarized in that that direction will be allowed through and all the rest of the light will be stopped. And on, on average, it's about half the light. It cuts down about half the light. Okay, so if I put a polarizing filter up in front of a light source, it diminishes the, the intensity by half. If I then take another polarizing filter oriented the same way, it doesn't block any additional light because the first filter blocked out everything that would be blocked by the second filter. And this is actually true no matter how many polarizing filters you add. They all, if they're aligned the same way, they won't block any additional light. Am I good, am I good so far, Cyprian? Yep. Okay. So now if you start to take, let's say you, you reduce it to just two polarizing filters again. And you take one of them and you start turning it. What you'll notice is it gets darker and darker, the light that passes through those filters, because you're now removing more of the light that you were previously letting through. And so it turns out if you get to 90 degrees and you have really good polarizing filters, ideal ones, if you, if you will, you will get no light if they're 90 degrees because one filter is blocking all of the light that's polarized in the vertical direction. And the other one will block all the light that's polarized in the horizontal direction. So no light gets through. And that's, that's pretty cool. It's easy to demonstrate. It's, it's reproducible no matter how often you do it. But things get weird when you start introducing a third filter. Now, if I told you I'm going to put a filter before the other two, the ones that are 90 degrees to each other, you wouldn't expect that to change the results. I didn't expect it to change the results. And the good news is it doesn't change the results. If I take my two filters that are 90 degrees from each other and blocking all light, and I add another filter before it, even if I do it at a 45 degree angle to the other two, it doesn't change how much light goes through it. And you, that's kind of expected. That's 
That would be, that's sensical. That makes, that, that tracks with the world as I see it. And if I put it behind the other two filters, it doesn't change the result. So we're still good. Maybe this quantum stuff's not so hard. But if I take that third filter and I insert it between the two that are at 90 degrees, what happens, Cyprian? Quantum weirdness. <laughs> That's right. Cue the <laughs> ominous music. Okay. So what happens is somehow it lets more light through. Instead of being black, the two filters at 90 degrees, if I insert one at 45 degrees, somehow lets light through. And this caused some really smart people, including Albert Einstein, to postulate that this can't be the way. This can't, this can't be what we think. In other words, it, it caused people to believe that there was probabilities and randomness in the way the behavior of particles. And that just that was something Einstein refused to accept. So he got together with a couple of buddies of his, uh, Podolsky and Rosen, and they came up with the, the theory or theorem uh, uh, called EDR, which is basically they posited that there were hidden variables that we didn't understand and couldn't ha didn't have access to uh, that had to be at play because God doesn't play dice. So um, that's a famous quote by Einstein. And so Niels Bohr was on the other side of this con controversy. He believed that the, the, the quantum world was probabilistic and that the results were random. And that was something that Einstein couldn't accept. And so there was this controversy. The problem is there were no tests available uh, to, to prove it wrong. It's like proving the, the, that something doesn't exist. I can't prove that something, the flying spaghetti monster doesn't exist. Um, so they, they were at a, at a, they were at an impasse. Um, so Cyprian, have I gotten the story wrong in any way so far? No, no, that's that's actually um, kind of like part of the of the history, right? Of 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 the development of this amazing field because um, it it it's always when it comes to 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 quantum computing uh, in particular, but to 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 kind of quantum physics in general, right? There's there's always a lot of debate on the on the interpretation, and and what you mentioned, I think, is one of the kind of the cornerstone cornerstone debates um, of around the 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 interpretation of quantum quantum theory, right? Um, one of the 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 thing that that um, uh, Boris Podolsky and Albert Einstein and Nathan Rosen uh, have actually kind of introduced in their uh, paper. I, I think it was published in 1935, right? They introduced this this concept of the EPR paradox. Um, right. EPR stands for Einstein, Podolsky, Rosen, right? And in a nutshell, actually, their conclusion, kind of drawing of what you mentioned, their conclusion in that famous paper was that it seemed to them that quantum mechanics was actually kind of incomplete. And they concluded that there is hope that a more complete kind of theory at some point in the future should be discovered that would 
um, be, let's say, less troubling than the implications of the uh, uh, current at that day quantum mechanics uh, uh, theory. Obviously, history proved them wrong. And uh, uh, one of the, 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 the parts of proving them wrong was actually the work of, of, of John Stuart Bell. Um, yeah. Well, let's get to him in a minute. Yeah, so exactly. One of the things I want to let everybody who's listening know is think about how reassuring that is. So Albert Einstein, widely, widely credited as one of the most brilliant human beings in all of human history, couldn't wrap his head around quantum mechanics because it was too weird. He didn't accept it. It's like, no, nah, that can't be right. That, that just doesn't make any sense. And, and so he never accepted it. He never, something he helped usher in. He helped define through his theories, the consequences of his original theories. Um, and he still couldn't accept it. And so, as we've said many times on this show, if you get to the point where you just like, this doesn't make any sense, then you're getting it. You're on the right track. Um, it's weird. And and the whole thing comes down to if the the particle doesn't have determinism. In other words, if if you can't decide what's going to happen knowing all the available information, then that means that the universe is random. At the at the particle level, it's literally just probabilistic. There's no determinism. You can't you can't make a prediction that's 100% because the, the everything's pro, uh, just a probability. And that's the fundamental part that was unacceptable to to uh Einstein, Podolsky and and Rosen. And and a lot of the the community at the time but Niels Bohr stuck to his guns. He he believed in uh, the Copenhagen um, interpretation, which was that no, the, at the particle level, particles don't know what they're going to do until they do it, and that they are they are probabilistic and they're not deterministic. Okay, so decades passed, uh, just, and you just mentioned be, be, John Stuart before, Bell. Patrick, before we we move to that, maybe just spend a a, a couple of seconds. Uh, uh, Describing to our audience in in simple words um, the thought experiment that that Einstein, Podolsky, and Rosen went through the so-called EPR paradox because that that will I believe help uh, our audience understand kind of what happened then decades later with the likes of of um, Bell and 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 the others right so. Their, their, their thought experiment that led to that paper, right? Um, they kind of um, uh, imagined uh, a set of two particles uh, in an entangled state. And, and just to be clear, at that point in time, uh, again, we're in 1935, entanglement was not a thing, right? It wasn't called that way, but it's easier for us to call it today entanglement because it's it's it it kind of helps our audience build kind of like a framework of references so they thought about a, a pair of particles that were in this this entangled uh, 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 state and then they thought right they imagined so if you measure the position of the first particle it seems that you can predict the position of the second particle or if you measure the momentum, of the first particle, you would predict the momentum of the, 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 the second particle. And then they argued based on Einstein's theory of relativity, right? That 
it's impossible that any action taken on uh, the first particle uh, to instantaneously affect the second particle, because that would actually mean that some kind of information is, is transmitted at a speed that would break the speed of, of light. Like instantaneous uh, interaction would mean something is communicated faster than, than, the, uh, than, than the, 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 the speed of, of, of light. So from this logic, which seemed to be valid at the time, right, they yeah. actually inferred that the second particle would actually have some very clearly defined values for position and momentum pre, pre, before it actually gets, gets measured. Because they said, otherwise, this is not possible, right? And that's where they contradicted mostly with Niels Bohr and to some degree also with Werner Heisenberg, right? Um, which they were kind of, as you said, they were sticking by their guns saying, no, that is not possible, right? No particle can have a clear value for observables like uh, 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 momentum, right, uh, uh, or, or position until the actual measurement takes takes place. So that was kind of the the conflict, so to speak, right? Right. In in, in simple terms. Right. So, it, it, but the problem was that the assertions were untestable. It was. There was no way there the hidden variables that they came up with as an explanation were hidden. So exactly. it's kind of like the whole many worlds theory. We can't prove it. So you can't disprove it. But you, um, you know what what's kind of like like amazing to me is that this is exactly the way that the theory of relativity was born as a thought experiment. Remember Einstein thinking about mm. what, how could it be to be in an elevator that would kind of constantly fall, right? To get rid of gravity. So, exactly. So for them, this kind of approach was perfectly valid because it was tested before, except this time um, it was working on some kind of uh, flawed assumptions, right? So that's like yeah, fabulous. He, he, <laughs> yeah. So so along comes John Stuart Bell uh, decades later uh, from Northern Ireland, and he comes up with a way that it could be tested. And this it, it gets complicated. So let's talk about the filters again for a minute. So if you take the filters and I've told you that if you if you take a filter and you put it perpendicular, it'll block half the light. If you take another idealized polarizing filter and you put it at 90 degrees to the other filter, it blocks 100% of the light. No, no, no photons will get through. If you insert another filter at 45 degrees to both of them, um, it, it lets light in. It, it becomes brighter. And strangely enough, if you keep inserting filters at different degrees, 10 degrees, 22 and a half degrees, 35 degrees, it keeps getting brighter. It, it, the polarizing filter, which all the polarizing filter ever does is remove light, prevent light from moving through, was causing more light to go through. That's what's really weird. And when you measure how much light, that's when it gets really crazy because at 22 and a half degrees, it's letting in way more light than, than you would even think of in a linear, in a linear relationship. And so 
the numbers didn't make sense unless you accepted Bohr's implementation, which is the probabilistic aspects, or there were hidden variables. And so John Stuart Bell came up with a an inequality, and the, the easiest representation of it that I can think of is if you have four variables, A, B, C, and D, such that A is equal to B, B is equal to C, C is equal to D, but A is not equal to D. Now, we all know that that through the distributive property, you can't, all of those can't be true at the same time. But what Bell looked at is, well, what if, what, what is the limitations of how often those can be true? And so he reduced it to um, a, a formula where you multiply the numbers by each other. And that gives you the, the level of, of true, trueness, if you will. I think there's a better term for that. And he validated that the number had to be between negative two and two um, if there were hidden variables. In other words, if the particle knew what it was going to do before it did it, then it had to obey the numeric distribution. And, and you, all you had to do is implement a, an experiment that would do this over and over and over again. And you would get an average value that was always below two. And they, they, you know, they worked on the experiments. The experiments were somewhat straightforward. The hardest thing about it was get generating an actual random um, seed for making the decisions. And, and we talked about some of this stuff, similar stuff in the BB84. Some of the stuff that we did in the BB84 topic episode, where we talked about whether you're going to measure uh, vertically, you know, rectilinearly or diagonally in, in the photons is, is kind of what we're talking about. That's, that's analogous. So in doing these experiments um, over and over and over again, they found that they were consistently creating a number that violated the inequality. In other words, the numbers of the experimentation conflicted with the assumption of the hidden variable. And so by doing this experiment over and over again, and it's been done many times, it's been done um, with more and more you know, variables squeezed out of it. Uh, one of the best ones, the big um, bell test was they used people to generate the random numbers across labs. So they didn't even rely on dice in case dice were, were loaded some way. Um, and they, they, they keep proving that there cannot be any hidden variables. Uh, and so I think they're going to keep trying to prove this thing, but it's funny that, um, that this, this mechanism of it, a thought experiment is what we're seeing over and over again. As you said, Cyprian, it, it's these thought experiments that are getting us to the next level. And that's where it gets a little bit abstract, right? Yeah, yeah, because um, it, it's we are dealing here with, 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 with things that, um, I mean, are very difficult to grasp on one side. Uh, but also are are very difficult to kind of kind of formalize, right? And then if, if the example you 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 mentioned, Patrick, is 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 great. I mean, um, once the the original formulation of of Bell's theorem was um, uh, uh, was emitted, right? And kind of like to to oversimplify things, right? The Bell's theorem without you don't even need to know how the the theorem looks, right? But Fundamentally, Bell's theorem proves or aims to prove, right, that quantum physics 
is actually incompatible with local hidden variable theories, right? That's that's kind of the essence of it. And then later on, there were multiple variations of this uh, 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 of this uh, 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 of this theorem uh, were emitted, and some of them were even proved in 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 following uh, uh, in following years, uh, and have been even tested um, um, uh, experimentally in 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 a lot of uh, kind of uh, real life uh, uh, scenarios, right? And um, basically, um, the main goal of all of these follow up kind of uh, experiments and 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 approaches, right, were to um, um, kind of either validate or invalidate some of the findings of the earlier Bell test. And actually, there's a uh, there is a kind of uh, a term that is coined for this. It's called closing the loopholes in Bell test. Um, exactly. Uh, uh, ec- 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 experiment, right? And to date, actually, um, virtually all these tests has found that um, the hypothesis of local hidden variables is actually inconsistent with the way that that nature ultimately uh, uh, ultimately works. The topic is not closed, though. That's, I think, another important aspect. Getting back to the thought experiments and 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 to 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 everything. So just to be kind of kind of very 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 uh, uh, clear, right? It's it's the significance of this theorem. Nobody doubts it. Like it's 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 absolutely kind of crucial. But it's not 100% clear at the moment um, which is the full set of its implication on the way we interpret um, kind of uh, quantum physics, quantum mechanics, and ultimately uh, quantum computing, obviously. So it's th- this is, uh, if you ask me, Patrick, this is probably one of the top three most fascinating uh, areas of quantum in general yeah it's i would say that it's widely accepted i I don't know anybody that's arguing that no bell's theorem is is wrong and 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 einstein is still was right you even said it earlier that you know einstein was wrong um it's widely accepted you're right also that people are continuing to try to prove it to make sure that they haven't missed anything but but the accepted the the acceptance is now that at the quantum level, things are probabilistic and not deterministic. And we're not used to that. With Isaac Newton, we could, if you knew the value of everything going into a system, you could predict everything that would happen following that. And that was comforting. That was reassuring. And it was reassuring to the point that some of the most brilliant minds in history couldn't accept it because it was too, it, it didn't make sense. It was too scary. Um, or it just was it was a non secular, and and that's something we run into all the time here. With with quantum, you have to suspend belief. And one of my theories is that those of us who watch a lot of superhero movies or you know science fiction, science fantasy, um, we may be better prepared to suspend disbelief um, and just accept it and drive on. And and I, I think you still have to you know walk all the way to the edge and look down and be a little bit impressed or intimidated by the the drop. Um, but when you get to a point where it's like I, this, I just don't understand this. This does, it doesn't make sense. Then you have to just like put a bookmark in and said, okay, 
I've reached that point. That's where I'm supposed to be. I'm just going to suspend belief and in 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 understand that that's how it works. And then I'm going to move on from there. And the danger I see and the danger I fear myself is I don't want to just accept an understanding of something and then move on unless it's one of those things I'm supposed to. Uh, Because otherwise I might accept a misunderstanding and move on. Um, So the way I define it is um, there's, it's all about, it's all about understanding that we're not allowed to know everything about subatomic particles. So that's, well, we're allowed to know everything about a bouncing ball or a, a moon in orbit around a planet or a planet in orbit around a sun. We're not allowed to know at that fundamental level. And the thing that doesn't make sense to a lot of people is, okay, then why does the world work in a deterministic way? And the way I cope with that is to think about the the law of large numbers. So if if I'm rolling a bowling ball down a, a lane and two of its you know trillions, billions, quadrillions of particles, fundamental particles, don't behave as they should, it's not noticeable in, in the aggregate, in the, in, the, in the gross weight of things, they're overruled. They're, they're not going to have a part. Two of the particles could turn into antiparticles suddenly or radioactively decay, and I won't notice. It won't change the trajectory of the ball in the real world because of the weight of all the others. And I think that's how I make sense of the fact that Bell's theorem is true at the fundamental particle level but not in the way in the world that we observe because things are probabilistic. Most of the particles will behave in the way we expect, but we can't count on them to, to behave in a way we expect when we get down to individuals. Is that make sense to you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, uh, the, the whole discussion around, around Bell's theorem or, or, or Bell's inequality eventually boils down to some things that we have kind of uh, covered uh, quite a number of times in 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 this podcast and it's it's that kind of fundamental realization of the fact as you mentioned that at its very fabric the universe is is undeterministic right and and this this is very difficult for us to grasp and accept because, well, most, if not all, our lives are spent in, in fully measurable deterministic contexts, right? I mean, whenever we drive a car, whenever we go to work, whenever we work with a computer these days, right, everything can be, can be measured, right? Like nothing seems to be left, left to, 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 to chance. And at a more philosophical level, Patrick, for me, the amazing thing is that at kind of the, the root of every measurable thing that we touch in our life, there's actually this, this, this non-deterministic world, uh, this probabilistic world of, 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 of quantum. And uh, in a sense, it's kind of amazing. This is one of the, the mysteries, mysteries of nature, if you, if you want, is how this fundamental kind of probabilistic behavior kind of builds up into 
um, measurable behavior in the form of matter and objects and 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 and, and things like things like 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 that. So that's it's, that's it's 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 kind of if you think about it, right? It's it's fabulous. It's kind of like the canceling out the the outlier, the bell the bell curve. Not not to be confused with John Stuart Bell. Uh, the bell curve, or maybe did he come up with that? Maybe he did. Um, the the bell curve, the the out the outliers on each side cancel out, and that and therefore you get to the middle. The middle is is what you you see and observe. Um, you can also get into esoteric conversations about spiritualism, where if we actually have free choice, if the world isn't deterministic, um, if the world is too deterministic, then then there's really no room for free choice. Yeah, and so maybe maybe this is the only way to design a universe uh, with laws that that work in the macro, it and but still have people able to make their own choices and have the end not be uh, faded in some way. Yeah, yeah, and what's even also worth mentioning here is um, some of the um, let's say. Um, interpretations that have been since associated with 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 Bell's uh, 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 with Bell's theorem, right? And um, uh, that's, for instance, uh, uh, like most of the of the of the people who um, uh, believe that that these these um, uh, experiments have ruled out the local hidden variables. They say, yeah, but what if we have non-local um, uh, uh, Hidden variables, right? Which, in 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 essence, means that in 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 this non-local very hidden variable theory, right? There is some way in which those particles are actually able to exchange information about their their their, their, their states, and this goes into the realm of trying to explain entanglement, which is obviously, at least at this point, it's 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 kind of like a. a uh, almost seems like a a, a mission mission impossible, um, and then there is the other kind of interpretation to Bell's theorem, which is is known as the the transactional interpretation, where um, they kind of pile on on this and say, well, yeah, but if there is a way in which these hidden variables, think about particles in 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 various experiments, right, uh, with entanglement actually can communicate somehow which we don't know about right we can't even imagine how today but if they 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 are able to do this then this is a situation where bell's inequality can can kind of easily be um uh easily be uh, uh, uh violated or or in in invalidated right and one of the crazy ideas that I've I've heard, and again we're back to the thought experiments, Patrick, right? Which is yes. basically all we have here. One of the the crazy ideas that I've I've heard is that actually, what if these particles are um, not communicating like faster than 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 time, fa- faster than faster than 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 light, but what if there is some kind of process that actually is capable of traveling backwards in time and giving them enough time to exchange the information. Uh, and it just appears to us that they are exchanging information simultaneously when in fact they, they are they, they're they're not. That's 
That's one of the fascinating like so, like so, so, interpretations uh, of Bell's theorem that I've So heard. because I can't so because I can't accept the faster than light travel, I'm gonna go to time travel instead. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, no, no, they <laughs> they don't they they don't communicate like faster than light, but they travel back in time. <laughs> I expected more of a an argument, and maybe there is an argument in this vein of well, if string theory is correct, maybe the particles are connected in the higher dimensions in a way that allows them to communicate, which isn't faster than light. It's just so, they're just so close together that they're, they're, they, they're communicating instantaneously because they're next to each other. Yeah. In, in, in a certain dimension above the four dimensions that we kind of perceive as of today, right? They, they might be actually, they might remain close to each other. And it appears that in the, three-dimensional space, they are kind of far apart from each other. But in, let's say, I don't know, a 10th or 11th or a 12th dimension, they are actually, they they always remain close to each other because of the entanglement. So, yeah. Uh, but again, these are all, just to be clear for everybody, right? These are all speculations for now what we have is uh, the EPR paradox, and we have Bell's inequality, and we have the all the experiments that so far, right, we're not able to breach that. <laughs> yeah, and we're gonna that the thing about theories and theorems is they're they're correct until proven wrong, and and we all, yeah. all we always try to prove them wrong because that will get us to a better theorem, a better um, formula. Uh, formulation so that we understand things more clearly. It, you know, the standard model of physics is pretty accurate based on what we are seeing. Uh, but if we can prove it wrong, that will lead to a better model, which will give us better predictive predict, predictive powers and and better things. We're we're in this situation where just because it's a theory doesn't mean it's not correct. Yeah, and um, and actually the the very kind of producer of the of the inequality bell gave a famous interview to to BBC I think where he actually proposed a a way to kind of address his theorem and that's uh, a, a a theory called super determinisms right well, super determinism where basically what 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 the theory says is what if the whole universe that we live in is absolutely deterministic from the very beginning, and there is absolutely no free will in, in, in it, meaning that it's basically evolving based on some predetermined path that was set at the very beginning of the universe. And that would be a way to violate Bell's inequality and to actually kind of uh, address the situation and and um, kind of eliminate the discussion about uh, uh, communicating at speeds it's faster than the speed of light, uh, solving the spooky action at a distance and, and things like that, right? That's another very, very interesting theory. And again, the producer or, or the one that, that mentioned it was, was, was Bell himself, which mm. is very interesting as well, right? <laughs> or... Or is it just predetermined? <laughs> yeah, I mean, are you fated to have? Are we fated to have had this conversation exactly at this time, in this way? Exactly. I mean, this the the, the fact that 
the words that we exchanged in this episode of the podcast was actually kind of predetermined at the point at which the universe was 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 created is i mean it's mind bending right but so nobody can prove a, or disprove that at this point the, <laughs> yeah there comes a point where you have to pick sides and i always yeah, i yeah. i i, I pen, tend to pick sides against fate i don't believe in fate i can't pr- disprove fate and you can't prove fate but I tend to um, to not agree with uh, the idea that things are predetermined. So I find the uh, quantum weirdness, as we keep saying, very reassuring that the universe is um, is on my side. Yeah, I'm I'm on the same side, Patrick. Here, <laughs> okay. I, I'm glad. Welcome, welcome to my side. Yeah. Hopefully, we won't get any hate mail as a result of that. Um, so. Bell's theorem, Bell's inequality, it's worth taking a look at it. There's lots of good videos on the internet that'll explain it. Some are a little harder to follow than others. Um, it's it's not required to, in order for you to be the, the person who creates the, the quantum computing algorithm that'll change the world, like Peter Shore and, and Grover's algorithm that takes the world by storm. Uh, but the more you understand about how we got here and what these issues are, Uh, the better prepared you are probably to take in information when you read books, watch videos, or listen to our podcast. Yeah, and and, and you will see Bell's theorem like being kind of one of the things mentioned in in any discussion about about quantum, but you rarely see kind of a deep dive into the discussions, the history, and things like that. So as a as a particular recommendation to our to our audience, what I have found to be um, extremely useful for me, Patrick, is when I start kind of diving into bits and pieces that are related to uh, quantum computing in particular, quantum physics in general, It I find it very, very helpful to first understand the history of that topic. Mm. Like, what was the original formulation of the problem? What was the original thinking around the problem? Initial experiment, initial results, how things turned upside down maybe multiple times through the right. history. And and I always try to kind of trace back the topic from the very beginning all the way to the current understanding or the currently accepted explanation of a certain phenomenon. And and that gives me, at least, well, that's me, obviously, but that, I, I, I believe, gives more context into kind of understanding how did we end up believing that a particular version of a theory or a particular solution or a, of an experiment best describes a certain aspect of how how things things work. And, and this is why I, I kind of took these, this little bit of moment to explain how uh, the, the the EPR paradox was formulated and, I, and, and and things like that because it's it's really really useful to kind of dive into what I call the history of 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 the thinking. Yeah, it, it, it gives you a sense of how mature the the thoughts are, whether they're they're new and cutting edge and untested, or whether they've been through the ringer. Um, the good news is that quantum computing is starting to evolve. We're still in its infancy, but we're not. We're not at the birth. It's still, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of work that's gone ahead of us that we get to talk about. So this is a pretty good topic episode. I think we're out of time, um, but we hope that uh, we can pick good topics when we don't have a guest on the show, uh, but we'll probably stay guest heavy uh, in the future. Yeah. And then again, Patrick, it's 
it's always like a, a, a pleasure to have these discussions with you about specific topics, right? Of, of I distinctly remember our, our BB84 discussion uh, uh, yep. a, 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 while, a while back. And I, I feel like every now and then, this, this is also kind of uh, useful and interesting for our audience to get into uh, like a, a deeper dive. Just to be clear, this was not a deep dive on Bell's theorem, right? No. It was a slightly deeper than just mentioning it. Um, to to be to be fairly accurate, right? But it's uh, it's, it's helpful, right? Because you uh, at least you find some angles. You might agree with us. You might not agree with us, right? But I, I hope that you will at least find some angle that was will will kind of uh, uh, spawn a little bit of more interest, and you get like mm, I need to look into that, or I need to 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 take a closer look at this and that. What Patrick said, or Cyprian said. So I think every now and then these these kind of discussions, I, I I think they're very useful for for the audience. Yeah. In in the U.S., we say this is the cliff notes because you can get cliff notes for a book report, so you can cheat on your book report and just get the <laughs> summary. So this is this is the cliff notes version of uh, of of Bell's theorem. All right, Cyprian, we'll be talking to you again soon. And, um, you know, stay safe out there and, and keep digging. Yeah, looking forward to, to our next episode, Patrick. Bye. Bye.